0: One of the things in the PT with God that we have uh, toward the end on Saturday and Sunday, we kind of have a makeup day in case you forgot a day, and you can review what you've read the first five days, but also uh, in it, I usually put a prayer in there, and I've put it for the last couple of weeks. Uh, sometimes in our prayer life, we have a tendency to say the same things over and over and over again, or we have, a, we have an emphasis in our prayers. It might be toward uh, physical needs or guidance uh, in general, but... Often the prayers in the Bible have some other emphases, and so i just like to read a prayer that I encourage you to pray for uh, people you care about this week, and it's found in Psalm 1, 9 through 11. It's not a long prayer, but it really speaks into some things that are important for everybody's life. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Would anyone here admit that you maybe could love a little bit better than you do? Uh, We ought to be praying for each other in that way, Uh, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless, uh, until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, Would anybody here admit that at times you you aren't quite getting it in terms of what things are really important and not important? That we might approve the things that are excellent, which means if you approve the things that are excellent, you understand the things that are what, not excellent. And so we all need to be praying for each other in that way. And then. Finally, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, in many ways, uh, we could also pray for each other that that our lives might be lived in such a way that could say that person really is living in such a way that gives praise to God and that it shows that God is alive and well and he's living within his people. So, I encourage you to take Psalm 19 through 11. Maybe each day you could pray that prayer for someone by name or a church or a pastor. You know, you can pray that prayer for me. I'd, I'd love to have you pray that prayer for me as well. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to the, the Gospel of Luke. If you know where the New Testament is, which is about two-thirds away in your Bible, if you have the entire Bible with you today, it's the third book over. It's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And f- find the seventh chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one around you in the chair uh, next to you or whatever it might be. And turn to Luke chapter 7. If you're with us normally you'll see all kinds of passages that I'll put in the outline and often I will give you many subpoints as well but today it's pretty simple isn't it just uh, a lot of white spaces and part of the reason I did that is this is one of those passages that I would say I, I don't want to get I don't want to get in its way and actually you could say that about every passage a preacher preaches on or a teacher teaches on is it's really this is the inspired word of god it's not what we say it's what god has said And our part is simply to to help it make it clearer or make it sure we understand it and see its implications as well as its applications as well as bringing it to our understanding. But this is one of those, at least the second part of what we'll be looking at this morning is so, so clear that I don't see how we can miss it. And so I don't want to fill it with so much stuff that you, you miss the main idea. In fact, really what the message is all about this morning is the truth about getting the main point point. Um, and if you noticed that some people just don't get it sometimes um, and that sometimes that that person who doesn't get it is us well this morning we're looking at what jesus talked about in terms of people not quite getting it now i'll just say this as is a comment on what's happening in our world today a, a lot of people don't get it is that we live in a world that's filled with evil and, and people want to describe it in a lot of different ways but all you have to do is read the headlines, okay, and you just see that man's inhumanity to man is what they used to say in philosophy classes. But it's just evil, it's just sin. How, how do you explain someone driving into the London Bridge, and we're not talking about the one in Havasu, Arizona, we're talking about in London and in Great Britain, and just doing it for the express purpose of killing people? Seven people died, you know, three suspects were, were taken. Um, but one of the things that's just so Heartbreaking is one of the ones who heard those who had come in said, "We're doing this to honor our God." Now I, I believe they're following the wrong guy, but even to think that God would have them drive in and just kill people. But then you have people on the other side. Uh, someone this week, I think it was in Portland, uh, saw someone they didn't like their color of their skin and didn't like the scarf on their head, and they killed them as well. It was just one on two. And so some people, they just don't get it that there is evil in this world. There is sin in this world. It's not a lack of education. It's not a lack of pristine environment that's causing this. There's evil in the heart. You know, the Bible says, for a few people have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Is that what it says? It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we really have a, a sin problem. And, and where is that sin problem? It's in us. And until we solve that, the problem on the inside, all the things that we do is trying to solve the problems on the outside. And there are significant problems, and we ought to help people and all kinds of needs and all kinds of circumstances that are in. But unless you solve the sin problem, it's just putting a Band-Aid on life. And so this morning, we're, we're going to see Jesus really speaking into that. And, and part of it, we're going to look back where we didn't quite finish last week, and I had all kinds of people this week said, you didn't finish the outline on Sunday. I didn't get the last fill-in it's because I didn't get to it. You know? I didn't talk about it. In fact, I'm not going to even fill it in this week. If you didn't figure it out, you just have to talk to somebody who did. But I'm going to go to the section in which really leads in to this passage of Scripture that for me is, is one of the most challenging in, my, in living out my, my faith. I go to this passage often when all of a sudden I feel I'm growing a little cold in my walk with God, you know, a little, if you want to call it superficial or a little bit where my passion has waned or whatever you want to say. I'm just not quite into it as I used to be. This passage totally rocks my world. But this morning, I want to begin by saying, you know, what is the truth about missing the point, and, and why is it that people miss it, and what is, what is the it? Now, the it you can describe in a lot of different ways, but we're going to try to get the it out of the passage this morning. I'm going to tell you two things it's not, and two things that it is. Well, what, what is it, or what is it not to begin with? Well, look at Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 31. And Jesus is starting to make a commentary on life. You know, we have all kinds of talking heads. That's what they talk about people on, on TV or on radio that, that kind of give you the spin they want to give. And they'll either spin it to the right or they'll spin it to the left, right? And tell you, well, I want you to explain what just has just happened. Well, Jesus did that, and we know that he always spins it right. So he's looking at how people are responding to the truth that they've been hearing. And not only have they been hearing it, but they've been seeing it. They can't deny it, and yet they are denying it. And why are they missing it? Well, he comments on that. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 31. To what, then, shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like? Wouldn't that be an interesting thing if you were in a, a room with Jesus? Do you want me to tell you how you really are, what you really, really like? I mean, you, you don't really understand how you really are. You, you, kinda, you look in the mirror, but you don't see what's in the mirror. Let me tell you what people are really like. And what Jesus does, he tells a story. They are like children who sit in the marketplace. Now, how would you like to say if Jesus came to you? You know, the, you know what the problem with you? You're, you're kind of childish. Now, the, the word child is used in two different ways in the, in the Scriptures. One time, in, in some ways, in a very positive way. In other ways, more of a negative way. The positive way is you ought to be like a child. In fact, if you're never like a child, you're never going to enter into the kingdom of God. And if you ever heard that, your ears ought to prick up and say, I better hear this. This really is on the test. And what is a child? A child is... Is very receptive to what they hear. Uh, they, they are they can be very humble in their heart, and they can respond with fullness to what they really believe in and commit themselves to. And, and And they're not filled with all the the issues of this world. They're just they're just trying to figure life out. And when they when they hear it and it resonates, they they give themselves to it. And if you're not like that with Jesus, then you're, you're going to miss it. But also, a child is 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 pictured as as being immature, and that's where we get that person is being pretty childish. They should know better, but they don't, and they and they're going off their own path. They're all they're all about themselves. He says, "Well, they're like children." Then what are the children doing? They're sitting in the marketplace and they call to one another and they say, "We played the flute for you, and you did not dance." Meredith, are you listening here? We're talking about flute players here. Okay, uh, we sang a dirge, and and you did not weep, and so the the. The most, well, one of the most popular instruments of that day was the flute. And, and Meredith, she plays the flute. She's play, praying for that era to come back, okay? You know, what is your favorite instrument? Maybe it's the organ, maybe it's the piano, maybe it's the keyboard, maybe it's a, it's a, it's a rock and roll guitar. This is the service for that, right? You guys wish we were. Pl- no, okay. Is it, you know, whatever it might be, this is to say, we had this great concert going, going and you didn't want to come and hear. And, and really what he was saying here is that we, the, the children said they, they want to have some fun and what if you ever remember seeing this where children want want to gather a group of people uh, children other children to play and they go out there, uh, outside and then no one wants to play with them he said that, that that's that's what you guys that, that's what this generation is all like you're like a child wants to go outside to play and you're trying to do something you think they're going to all going to enjoy doing, and no one wants to play with you. You're playing the flute, and really what they want to do they want to play they want to play wedding they say well, let's 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 put on this big celebration. Weddings there, just like today, but even more so in some ways. Back then, the, the wedding was a week long. And so there was dancing and music, and you, know, you had the ceremonies. and let, let's, just, let's pretend we're celebrating like adults when they really have fun. And, and there were other children said, well, we don't want to do that. And so then, and it, then he said, okay, well, uh, then we played the dirge, and no one would weep. And what he's saying there, it doesn't make, he, sometimes when Jesus would tell stories, it didn't make as much sense as we thought it was until he explained it. He said, you know, okay, so if it's, if it's not celebration you want, maybe you want something that's somber and serious and reverent. So we'll, we'll pretend like we're putting on a funeral, a memorial service. And the other said, don't, I don't play that either. And they're thinking, why is Jesus telling us this and so he explains it verse 33 for John the Baptist has come eating uh, no bread and and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon and then the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say behold a gluttonous man and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children he says you know what uh, what you've treated to the truth God has given you and why you have not gotten it why you've missed it because you've already decided no matter what game is being played, you're not going to what? You're not going to play it. You're not, not going to get involved in it because it's really all about you. It's all about what you like. And so he gave two extremes. And, and really, these were the two extremes as, as God launched the truth of, of God becoming man and giving the message that everyone needed to hear. It came out somber and reverent and hard strong with John the Baptist and he said for those of you who really see the life of God is is all about what you give up none, none of you have ever given up as much as John the Baptist did I mean you remember what he wore he didn't wear the soft clothing of those who were prominent I mean, he wasn't wearing anything that was in at that time he just put on whatever he put on and, and where did he live? he lived in the wilderness where where people only went when they had to go and, and what did he eat I mean, he ate, he ate locusts and honey, and who wants to live on that diet? He said, "You said he is too crazy. That can't be the life for God. He's like a, he must be a demonic." And you know how demons dressed? Either they had little clothing on or no clothing on. That's John the Baptist, and and also. Demons didn't seem like they were in the right mind, and sometimes the more they listen to John, said he's he's too fanatic. That can't be from God. So you didn't accept that, and then you have Jesus, the Son of Man. And how did he come? He was like party on. He said what he's a glutton. I mean, he's drinking too much wine. He's having too many parties. He's got too many friends, and, and he wasn't he wasn't trying to comment on on the whole picture of what it means to walk with God. He's saying you you didn't want to listen and. When you didn't like something, you you put it down because that didn't fit your preferences. And then when you didn't like it over here, you said, well, that doesn't fit my preferences. And what I mean by preferences is the way you picture what God ought to be like and what He wants from you. And let me just put it as simply as possible. It's really not about you. And it's really not about me. It's all about Him. And when... He came speaking in truth and living out the truth. They could have responded to the truth, but it was, but it was not about God. It was about them. And often it is as simple as that. Why people don't get it? Because they don't want to get it. Because they want to they make God in their image, not see that they were made in God's image. How many times have you heard people say, well, I, I, my God wouldn't do that. Well, God couldn't do that. It's not about what you think God will do or wouldn't do. It's all about what God has said He would do and has done. That's who God is. So they missed it then, and people miss it now, and we wrap it a little bit different so it doesn't look quite as harsh, but he was saying, look, you're like a child. You're not getting what you want, and so you deny it by criticizing it. Do we live in a critical world today, a cynical world? skeptical world and it's all about criticizing anything that doesn't fit how they see things and that disrupts a culture but it disrupts people spiritually because they think it's all about them well first of all as we think about missing a point number one it's about what it's not it's not about your preferences it's not about your likes or likes or my likes or likes it's about who God really is and what God really does But secondly, and this is where we're going to see the main section this morning. Well, let me read the text, and then we'll make this simple observation. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him, this is Jesus, to dine with him, which is kind of interesting because he just called him what? A child. Did you get that? He said, not only are you a child, you're kind of a brat. You know, you're, you're you're an immature child. But why did the Pharisee do it? Because... Well, probably it was, it was pretty significant for him. He, here was the most significant person in town at the moment, Jesus. He didn't really believe in him, but if, if you had the most significant person come to your house, that made you what? Made you important, right? You ever been around somebody who name drops? Well, why do they name drop? Because they think if, if you know that I know this person's name to be able to call him you know, by his personal name or an experience I have with him, that makes me what? That makes me important. So he invites Jesus to come into his home, and, and here goes the account. And he entered the Pharisee's home and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing her feet and annoying them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had visited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who, had, who, who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a what? Sin. A sinner. Now, again, I, I don't want to get in front of this passage. This passage is just so powerful just reading the text. But I, I, I'm throwing out a few things just to hang your hat on in terms of the points here. You know, what's what is it about missing the point it's not about it's not about you or i it 's not about our preferences and number two it's not about whose sins are worse. The Pharisee looked at this woman who came in and there's a whole story about why she actually got in basically when they did a dinner it wasn't inside the house it was outside in the courtyard and if you were a prominent person of means, it was your courtyard was pretty significant, and so people wanted to come in and be entertained by the people who were at the at the dinner and kind of look at what was going on. It was it was an event. And so somehow she slipped in. And normally a person like that would slip in but stay on the outside because if they got closer in, they would be rejected. But she got in close, and 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 Simon all of a sudden, we'll find out his name in just a moment, but the Pharisee named Simon begins <laughs> begins just to ridicule Jesus in his mind. <laughs> Uh, this, this person who is supposedly from God, this prophet, he doesn't even know who's touching him. And who's touching him, this is the identity he gives this woman. She is a sinner. Now, how, how did this religious man, the Pharisee, who was well-versed in the Old Testament, how, how did he miss it? Because you know what people do that, You know when they read the Bible? That they remember the things they want to remember, and they what? They forget the things they don't want to remember. Now, Thomas Jefferson, if you remember his story, he's pretty well known as he took the, particularly the New Testament, took some scissors and just cut out the things he thought shouldn't be in there. Anything miraculous, anything about the deity of Jesus, any of those kind of things. But you know what this Pharisee had done? This Simon? He had cut out anything that related to his own sin. And he began to think, well, the sins of the flesh... Are so much more serious than sins of the spirit. And yet, he cut out Proverbs chapter 6, which said, you know, you know what God hates? He hates a haughty look. Which is another way to say he hates the P word. What's the P-word? Pride. He hates, I mean, there aren't that many places, I mean, God hates all sin, obviously. But here he, here he had missed what God hated the most, and in the midst of listing them, he hated pride. So the Pharisee Simon, he should have saw himself as a S-word. What? A sinner. But he missed it. Or he could have turned to Isaiah chapter, you know, um, 64, verse 6, I think it is, where it says, you know, even the righteous things that we do to God are like, what? Filthy rags. So, so, if he was as well versed as he thought he was, he would have said, Look, even the best things I do are like just dirt in God's eyes. And, and if he, and we don't know what the spiritual condition of this Simon was later down the path, but if, if, if he had ever gotten connection with some of other people that came to faith, like the Pharisee named Paul. You know what Paul say about himself in 1 Timothy 1.15? It says that Paul saw him as the chief of sinners. Now, had Paul probably done any of the sins that, that this woman had done? Probably not, at least physically. But Paul saw himself, there is no one who has sinned more than me. And so when we understand missing the point, missing the point is when we somehow think other people's sins are worse than ours. Paul said in Philippians 3:8 he said look at even even as i look back at my own life even the good things i've did to me they're just like manure they're rubbish now no, nothing of significance In James chapter 2 verse 10 he says if you've actually committed one sin it's like committing them all When we're at a sex like this, it's hard not to get emotional twice. I, you know, I, I got a little emotional in the first service. But this is so significant for all of us. As we come to a place like this, we're going to miss it if we don't see how sinful we are in God's eyes apart from the cross. And Simon and others missed it. They, they thought whatever surgery God needed to do on their life was minor surgery. But it was major surgery. So that's what it's not. It's not, about, it's not about our preferences. It's not about our likes or dislikes. It's not about things that, that we think are important. And there are things that are important in life, and there are wisdom issues. But the thing is, it's all about God. And then secondly, it's, it's not about whose sins are worse, because our sins are as bad as anybody else's. So Jesus tells a story. Look at b- verse 40. He says, And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. Kind of interesting, you know, whether he was kind of skeptical that he was really going to be able to teach him something, but he said, go ahead and go ahead and teach me. A money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. Denarii is a day's wages. So if you have 500 denarii, depending upon whether you got paid every day, you know, people debate how much to- period of time this might have been. It might have been one and a half years, it might have been two years, if you didn't get paid every day. And the other 50, so now you're talking about maybe two months. So he's comparing someone who had a debt, two years of wages. And two months of wages. And he says, when, the, when they were unable to pay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Who will be, who will be more grateful? Who, who will be filled with just, just thanksgiving and, and love for him who paid a debt they could not pay? And Simon answered and said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since she came in, I, uh, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You, you did not anoint my head with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Later on, he leads us into why, because she had faith. And his face was demonstrating her love. But what do we have here? Well, One way to put it simply is we understand what is the point. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our anybody's sins being worse than anybody else's sins. It is about a debt you can't pay. See, if we come to Jesus, if we come to what we perceive as Christianity and think that, you know, if we're good enough, God will accept us. We've missed it. All of us owe so much more than we can imagine and making up for all the sins we have committed. And, and really, if you have a debt you cannot pay, it really doesn't matter how much you perceive that debt is. You can't pay it. And so he's trying to rattle Simon's cage a little bit. Okay, even on a temporal level, um, if one owes more than another, uh, and it's really not the amount, but it's the awareness. That's the point. Here. It's not the amount of sin, it's the awareness of the sin. It's the one who is aware of how much their debt cannot be paid is the one who loves more. He said, by the way, and he just put a little bit of practical exhortation to him. You know, can you just see on a, just on me being brought into your home as your guest, you've broken every one of your own rules. Anytime you invite a person as a guest in your home, if you have any sense of means, which the Pharisee did, Simon did, you're supposed to anoint their head with oil. You're supposed to pour cold water over their feet and, and refresh those who've been walking in the dust of all those unpaved streets. And he had done none of that. None of it. You're supposed to anoint their head with oil. He had done none of that, and she had gone to much greater lengths to demonstrate her love for Jesus. Wiped his feet with her hair. That that was such a horrific thing in terms of humility on her part. Is that if you were to take your hair off the bundle that was on your head, it was it was seen as that which could be a grounds for divorce if you were married because you never do that in a public setting. She did that to, to wipe his feet, and she bathed his feet with her tears. We miss the point if somehow we, we don't realize that we have a debt that we cannot pay. But I think the other point I want to just leave us all with, and this is the point that always grabs me. He, he goes on and says this, "'For this reason, I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven.'" For she loved much, but he was forgiven little loves little. And see, that, that's the thing that ought to rock our world. If, if right now I'm in a state, if I've made a profession or a confession of faith to Jesus, and somehow I'm, you know, I've, I've left that first love or I'm, I'm a little shallow in my passion for him or my commitment to be obedient to him. At that moment, what we are saying to God, well, God, I, I know you are the supreme being of this universe, but you know, what have you done for me lately, and how significant is it what you have already done for me? And at that moment, we think that we have been forgiven just a little, and because we think at that moment we've been forgiven a little, we love God a little at that moment. You know, when it says, for this reason I say to you, your sins which are many have been forgiven. I, I don't always bring out the tenses of the verbs in the, the Greek language, but it's significant here. When he was looking at this woman who had an identity in the world as a sinner, but as seen by Jesus, she was a saint. She said, her sins which are many have been forgiven. It's, it's called in the perfect tense in the, in the Greek language, which is a tense that says something that has happened in the past but continues on in the present. And see, this is what is true for every person who knows Jesus. There comes a point in our life where, where we come to Jesus humbly and completely in trust and confidence in Him and surrender our life. At that moment when we confess our sins to Him and turn from them and ask His forgiveness, all of our sins are dealt with in the past. But for many well, what happens now? Because after that has happened, I still sin and And that's when you realize that which has happened in the past continues on in the present, and His blood continually forgives us of our sin. And she realized that Jesus had done that which no one could do, erased her past, and promised to be present with her now and in the future. And because of that, she loved not a little, but a lot. And then, so they could all understand what had happened, he said in verse 38, Then he said, Your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sin? Again, they missed it. They thought he was just a man or maybe a prophet. He wasn't just a man. Only God forgives sins. And then he said to the woman, Jesus, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. She wasn't saved because she had warm feelings about Jesus. She was saved because she had put her trust in Jesus. And because she put her trust in Jesus, she loved Jesus. So what's, what's the point? What's the main point? It's not about our preferences. It's not about how our sins are compared to other people's sins. It is about a debt we cannot pay on our own. It is about how much you love Jesus. See, we can describe Christians in so many different ways. You know, These are people who have... Come that place where they've committed their life to Jesus, have, have put their faith in Jesus, that have been converted, have been, you know, changed on the inside out. These are people who have been redeemed. These are people who've been regenerated, and and those are all biblical words. But you could put it a lot simpler. Who are Christians? These are people who love Jesus. Isn't that true? God wants. People marked by how much they understand how much God loves them. And because he loved us first, we in turn love him. And we realize the reason we needed Jesus to invade history, to become a man, to die on the cross and be risen from the dead, is that our sins needed to be paid for. And when we understand our sin and how much he saves us from our sin the response is not only faith and trust, but it's love. Now, I believe God sovereignly draws people to himself. And apart from God drawing us to himself, we, none of us would be saved. But there is a responsibility on our part. And I understand that all in the heart and mind of God, but there's a responsibility. There's a story, a true story, in our American history. In, in 1830, there's a man named George Wilson who had committed a crime Uh, He actually had mail fraud, and at that point, um, that was a significant crime in our society, and it was worthy of death. Andrew Jackson was the president at that time, and he decided, because of the circumstances around George Wilson, that he would pardon him for his sin of mail theft, certified mail. And he handed down the pardon, George Wilson rejected it. And so they were in dilemma within, within the courts. What do we do? We, we had this pardon and yet it rejected. Do we set him free or we carry out the sentence because the pardon wasn't accepted? The chief justice of that time of the Supreme Court was a man named John Marshall and he deliberated over it and he sat down a, an edict and he said, at least in the American culture, that pardon is just a slip of paper until it's received and accepted. And because he rejects it, we will carry out the sentence of death. And that's the the invitation for everyone, is to realize that that Jesus' work on the cross was complete. It was finished. There was nothing more to be done. And then the invitation is given. And, and, And only people who realize it's not about you, it's all about God. It's all about people who realize their sins are as, wor- as bad, as worse than anyone you can imagine. If they realize that their debt needs to be paid and Jesus is inviting them to trust him and to love him, only those will get it and have a relationship with him. Let's pray. So I would pray for all of us here this morning that we might be a people that not play games with God, not be childish and and say, I want to take my ball and go home. But we want to be a people that are all in. And for everyone here this morning, individually, uh, we all need to question our own hearts. Have I come to that place where I have given my life fully and completely to Jesus? And right now, am I living a life that shows I love him because I I want to be in conscious awareness that my debt, my sin, was worthy of putting Jesus on the cross. And if anyone doesn't know you, I pray they might just ask Christ to come in, forgive them of their sins, and, and just commit to following him fully and faithfully. And for us who know you, might we realize that we want to be a people marked by loving a lot and not a little. Help us to be passionate for the one who showed His passion by coming for us, and we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stay as we sing this morning.